Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. everybody today. My name is Jane Waller and I am with Marcel Milan. Marcel is based in Melbourne, Australia and working out of a private studio as an exercise physiologist. Marcel works mostly with older clients as she helps build mental and physical resilience. So Marcel, as I am tucking into my morning coffee here, uh, I'm sure you're getting ready to have your nice Aussie red with dinner. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Jane. So my nice Aussie red is actually a nice cup of coffee. <laughs> very, very boring. Great role modelling. Um, yeah. Okay, Marcel. It's actually, it's actually wine. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Um, so get, take two or three minutes and um, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Okay. Um, well, I'm an exercise physiologist and I've been in the industry for about um, 20 odd years, which sounds like a really long time. But uh, as you mentioned before, I work mainly with older clientele. So my clients are generally sort of late, late 30s through until to their 90s. And the things that I tend to focus on are things like stress physiology, metabolic health, mental health, particularly depression. And I'm also very interested in female physiology and how female physiology affects or interacts with all of these other things, particularly for women going through perimenopause into menopause and above. Um, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Um, the, part of the reason that we're talking today, obviously, is just around this whole perimenopause perimenopausal and menopausal state. Um, a lot of our um, listeners today will actually have clients that are going through this physiological phase of their life or they're actually in that themselves. So what, what more can you tell us about the, the changes in this physiological state as, as part of a woman's life? Okay. So menopause officially is defined as when the menstrual cycle has ceased for 12 months continuously. So when you've gone from being menstrual no periods for 12 months, and then you're considered to be menopausal. But obviously that doesn't happen overnight. There's a process that usually lasts between seven to 10 years, uh, where a woman will start to experience physiological, metabolic and endocrine-like hormone changes. For women who are Caucasian, that we usually tend to start in the early to mid forties. There's some evidence that women of color will start to experience some of these changes a bit earlier. Um, so that's something to be aware of if you are working with culturally diverse, uh, culturally diverse people. Um, for our purposes in terms of fitness professionals, there's really four areas that we need to be aware of um, when we're looking at the changes that start to happen for women. The first one is the effect of uh, perimenopause and menopause on muscle mass and bone mineral density. So most people will be aware that there's some sort of issue with osteoporosis for, for women who are menopausal. And so that's definitely a big one. The second one is metabolic changes. So increases in metabolic stress, systemic inflammation, and just hormonal changes in terms of how we, particularly how we process food and how we respond to exercise. 
And you also have neurological changes, which include cognitive functioning. So women will talk about having that brain fog, their memory is not quite as good. So there are definitely neurological changes that happen and also then mood um, increases in depression and increases in volatility and mood. Women say they get really angry when they start to get through menopause. You know, I think they probably have good reasons to get angry sometimes mm. during that time of life. But that definitely, the effects on the central nervous system is definitely um, significant as well. And then finally, we're looking at vasomotor changes, which is hot flushes, basically. And given that mm, about 75 to 85% of women going through perimenopause and menopause will experience hot flushes. The research that's available on it is actually quite minuscule. We don't really know what causes it. And it's, it's infuriating, it's changing, but that's one of the areas where we have a little bit less in terms of research to fall back on. The main thing that we're looking at, it's obviously very complex from a physiological perspective. So for the sake of brevity and for the sanity of the listeners, I'll skip over the endocrinological sort of lecture and just stick to the practical stuff. The main thing that you're looking at here is a decrease in the amount of estrogen that a woman has in her body. So estrogen is a really wonderful hormone. It needs to get a little bit of the marketing department love that testosterone has gotten over the years. It's fantastic. It's protective. So it's protective for cardiovascular disease. It's protective for diabetes. It's protective for depression. So when you start to get a drop down in estrogen, you start to lose some of that protective element and so you're a little bit more vulnerable to things like you know not so optimal life choices etc um, it's anabolic so what is so like an anabolic steroid which means that it helps you to hold onto your muscle mass helps you to hold onto your bone mineral density so when that estrogen starts to drop down that's when you start to see that drop off in muscle mass and that drop off in bone mineral density there's a common misconception that once you've lost that so once you got to menopause you can't build that back up again that is demonstrably untrue exercise and particularly resistance training exercise is absolutely essential and can definitely help people in their 70s in their 80s still can build muscle still can build bone it's just going to be a little bit slower and not quite as efficient as it was in your 20s but it's definitely not the case that once you've lost it it's absolutely not possible to get it back the second area that people generally tend to look at with estrogen changes sex hormones have quite a, a significant influence on metabolism. Estrogen interacts with insulin and interacts with how we respond to glucose. So what will happen uh, as a woman starts to go through perimenopause into menopause is that we will become more resistant to insulin. So the way that our bodies respond to carbohydrate and the way the carbohydrate is metabolized will start to change. So quite often what women will find is they're eating the same thing they're doing the same amount of exercise, nothing's changed, but suddenly they're starting to put on weight around the middle. We can talk about that a little bit later, but primarily there's lots of stuff going on there. But one of the things, and one of the primary things there is that the way that we respond to carbohydrate changes when our estrogen levels start to drop. So that actually probably leads us on perfectly to what my next question would have been, would have been is that weight gain is obviously a major concern for people in this dem demographic state. Um, as you've just explained, it's not just one thing, it's not just hormones. So what else is going on there? Um, 
there's, there's a few things happening here. So some of these are biological things that are happening like that drop off in estrogen leading to uh, an increase in insulin uh, resistance and therefore an increased sensitivity to carbohydrate. There's also a difference in how we process protein and most women who are middle-aged and above don't tend, well, most people don't tend to eat enough protein anyway. So that starts to have an influence on metabolism. But a lot of it also has to do with behavior and behavioral uh, changes that we see. Because typically the response will be that a woman will start to notice that she's getting a little bit, um, well, a little bit wider through the middle. And the general response to that would be to do what you were doing in your 20s or what is recommended is increase the amount of cardio that you do and decrease the amount of food that you eat. And if you go to your GP, that's pretty much the, yeah. the advice that they're going to give you. Go for a walk and eat less stuff. And, you know, while that's not bad advice in, in general, what happens typically when you... When you have a significant drop off of calorie intake for women, females generally respond in a different way to that than what males do. So when you take uh, males and females, you put them on a really low calorie diet. One, men will tend to hold on to their muscle mass a little bit better than women do. So both men and women will lose weight on low calorie diets, but women will lose relatively more of their muscle mass and their lean tissue mass. What that then does is it lowers your met resting metabolic rate. So when you eventually come off of the yo-yo the diet and you start yo-yoing because low calorie diets are not sustainable. So at some point you're gonna go, eh, this shit, I need a cookie. And then the weight just goes back up again. So you get that classic yo-yo dieting thing going on because you now have less muscle mass and a lower metabolic rate than before you started. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is that women, women's bodies and the female physiology of G will tend to respond to stress by battening down the hatches. So you will see what we see anecdotally, a lot of people coming into a gym or into the clinic, heterosexual couple, they're on a, a health kick and they're doing some sort of low calorie diet, ketogenic thing or an intermittent fasting type exercise. He's happy as Larry, he's losing weight, he's got energy, happy to go. And she is lethargic and tired and just grumpy. When you get that really intense calorie low down thing going on, that was not very articulate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You, get a, you get a stress response, you get a spike in cortisol, and the body will respond to that by holding on to its resources, holding on to fat, lowering down that metabolic rate to ensure your survival throughout this starvation period. So you don't do your metabolism any favors and you don't do your energy levels any favors. So that means that you won't be able to exercise as well as you would have otherwise. So those two things like the loss of the muscle mass and the lowering down of the metabolic rate are two things that you need to be careful of. So the advice, eat less and go for a walk, perhaps not ideal. It should be reduce your calories moderately and do strength training and higher intensity interval training rather than low, slow state cardiovascular exercise. So it's kind of like the, the general advice is actually quite contrary to the evidence that's out there. Okay. Um, so just, just sort of capping on what you did, just said just then. So for a female in this state, you would be suggesting slightly higher protein, slightly lower carbohydrate, I presume starchy carbs, mostly would that be fair to say 
Yeah. Look, nutrition is complex because how you respond to particular foods is going to be dependent on your genetics. It's going to be dependent on your gut health, whether or not you yeah. can absorb things. So there, it is complex and it needs to be individualized the same way that exercise needs to be individualized. But broadly speaking, yes, you will need probably to reduce the amount of carbohydrate that you have relative to the amount of protein and fat uh, and you will need to make sure that you're eating good quality carbohydrates not super low carbohydrate diets a lot of women don't do well on really low carbohydrate mm. but moderate carbohydrate and then increasing the amount of protein that you take for an active woman that should be somewhere between one and two kilo uh, one or two grams of of protein per kilogram of body weight unless there's a medical reason why you can't do that that protein is incredibly important for building muscle mass but it's also incredibly important for the central nervous system and that brain fog one of the things that you've obviously highlighted there is that very you know variations need to be considered amongst people so how does that work how do, how do you take those variations into consideration well, this is what we do as fitness professional professionals, isn't it? So this is what our this is what our job is. So we are the difference between a, a client going onto the internet and getting a cookie cutter program and coming in to see a fitness professional who can sit down and talk to you and actually decide based on what your goals are and what your measurements are that you're looking at at the time, how to best proceed. So that might be looking at if you still have a menstrual cycle, are you tracking it? Because a lot of women aren't. And if you're not tracking your cycle before you get to perimenopause, it's going to be a lot harder for you to try and make sense of the changes that are happening once you get to that stage. So the earlier you can start tracking your menstrual cycle, the better. I recommend the Fitter Woman app. We'll put that in the resource list at, at the end. But it's really important that you start to just track how long your cycle is, what your symptoms are. And then you can start to look at when you do make dietary changes. For example, if I reduce the amount of carbohydrate that I eat, does that make a difference to my premenstrual symptoms? If I reduce the amount of sugar that I eat, does that change my mood fluctuations or my energy fluctuations during the day? So you would keep a record of your energy levels and your mood and your physical performance. And you can talk to, you know, if you're, if you're a trainer, you talk to your client about what their goals are. You need to have one or two good performance measurements that's relevant to your client's goals. Um, and then you need to look at things like how well how well am I recovering? So again, energy and mood. And there's other things that you can look at there, tracking your sleep, because sleep disturbances is one of the areas where things will, if things start going pear-shaped, it'll show up there. Um, you can look at your heart rate. So heart rate variability is very popular and it's gold standard for looking at the state of the central nervous system. But a lot of the wearable tech is really not reliable in terms of giving you good quality data. So resting heart rate in the morning when you get up if that's suddenly a lot higher than it normally is it's usually an indication that something's going a little bit pear-shaped you can also look at grip strength very simple to do most gyms have got a, some sort of grip strength measurement device lying around somewhere and another very simple thing that you can do is to look at your coordination so that might be at the start when the client comes in throw a tennis ball at them, not at them, to them, or maybe at them, um, and see whether, see whether their coordination is as, as good as it normally is. And if you start to see a drop down, that is also probably an indication that there needs to be some attention given to um, 
recovery. So, and then obviously performance variables like how much you're lifting, how far you're running, how fast you're running, that sort of thing. So how do we, as Fit Pros, how do we apply this information to um, other priority areas, not just weight management, but bone mineral, mineral density, muscle mass, etc. Okay. Um, fortunately, all of these things tend to have the same answer mm. in terms of what exercise is good for. Good for bone mineral density, good for the central nervous system, good for weight management, good for um, mood and energy in general. The first thing that we need to do is we need to, to weight train. You need resistance training, and I mean proper resistance training. So when you're looking at classical guidelines around muscle building or hypertrophy training for people who are beginning, you will usually see in the guidelines that there is a, a recommendation for starting on three sets of 10 to 12. That information is based on the response of testosterone in men. That doesn't happen in women. In women, the main stimulus for muscle growth in addition to estrogen is growth hormone and growth hormone will generally respond to a lower rep range, so heavier weight. And that is very countercultural. So in the gym, what you see is you men lifting the heavy weights yep. and the girls get the shrink it and pink it treatment. So you've got the tiny little pink kettlebell and the little pink booty band and yep. semi-patronizing poster on the yep. wall. It's the other way around. You need to lift heavier relatively. So you would start someone on a repetition range of eight to 10 repetitions for them. And that might be body weight for them. If they're elderly, that's fine. It's relative to them, but it has to be heavy. Um, and you would work your way up to quite decent, like five sets of five repetitions. And that is not something that you see a lot of older women doing in the gym at all. It's very, very countercultural. Yeah. In addition to that really heavy strength training, the heavy strength training, FYI, is not just for, for muscle building. It actually, it will help with central nervous system fatigue. It will help with driving metabolism. So it will help to manage your weight as well. In addition to that, we need to be doing some sort of plyometric work. And this is very important for um, bone mineral density. Again, not something that you generally tend to see older women doing and when I'm saying plyometric work I don't necessarily mean like doing jumps onto a 90 centimeter box someone who is in their 70s doing a step down off of a 30 30 centimeter step is going to be plenty for them in terms of impact but we definitely need that plyometric load that short sharp landing on the ground super important for bone mineral density caveat on both of those things your ability to respond and recover is going to be the difference between doing well and getting injured. So the difference between a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old is their ability to recover. So yes, we need that heavy, strong stimulus, but we also need to be making sure that we look after that person's ability to recover. Because if you hit them with a heavy load and they don't have the ability to recover, they're not gonna, they're not gonna cope. So one third of the attention on the training stimulus two-thirds of the attention on the recovery as a general, general rule. Um, beyond your resistance training and your plyometric training, you're looking at high-intensity interval training type stuff, intelligently programmed and not high-intensity all the time, intelligently designed. We need to get the heart rate up. There is some really interesting research coming out now about the role of lactate in the management of depression in particular. So training that gets you up above lactate threshold, gets your heart rate up, cardiovascular benefits, mood benefits, central nervous system benefits, all of that. 
intelligently designed. Again, not something that you generally see in a gym. It doesn't have to be high impact. It can be rope pulls or rope pulls, sled pushes, sandbag carries. Sandbag carries a really good way to get someone's heart rate up and to get them to lift something heavy, even if they can't grip, if they've got arthritis in their hands, something to, to carry, something to consider. Um, and then the final thing that generally tends to get overlooked as well is novel movement. So getting people to move in three-dimensional space, getting them to do loaded mobility work. So I really like the Viper as a tool for that, but oh, you can Excellent plug there. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I thought you, I thought you might. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not getting paid for that plug, by the way. I do actually use the pipers quite a bit. So novel movement is incredibly important for the central nervous system. And it's important to incorporate some sort of play element into yeah. that some sort of game playing just for mood and for central nervous system because that's how kids learn. And it's not different when you're 60. That's how you learn. Yeah. You might also look at doing some sort of mind-body thing, looking at breath work. Excuse me, because that can make a big difference to your central nervous system recovery as well. If you're doing some sort of five or ten minutes of breath work at the end of your session, it makes a massive difference to your recovery. I think that covers all the bases. And that's the antithesis of, you know, going for a, a long walk and, you know, doing plans yeah. with a booty band. No, there's nothing wrong with going for a long walk. The long, slow stuff is absolutely fine. I'm going to go at some stage around every gym in the world and cut booty bands in half so they can go on the trash heap. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't do long, slow stuff, but that shouldn't be the bulk of what you're doing. Sure. Um, that kind of leads me to another question because you you were talking about how things are countercultural with you know with women, and you're absolutely right. You know, the the ladies' kettlebells are like pink and light blue and very pretty, and the men's are beastie. Um, and you know, for some women, that's a put off in itself. Um, oh, so, it's, you know, it's patronising. It's patronising. Yeah, so no, no offence to the women out there who actually like the pastels. I mean, you do you. But the message that I get when I see that is like the proper weights. Yeah. That's the men. And if yeah. you want to dabble, you can have the little the shrink. I don't know who came up with the term shrinking and pinking. It may have been Stacey Sims. We'll give her credit for it. But you get the shrinking and pinking phenomenon, which just, it drives me yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, the, the, you know, the, those weights... That those weights don't go up to the much much heavier weights you know they'll they'll and that's just uh that's just not right something we need to fix um is. what is the barriers the barrier there because you talked about this being um counter-cultural and you're absolutely right couldn't agree more um how do we overcome that what are the barriers and how do we fix it okay first of all is getting good information out there which is what i'm hoping to do by doing this sort of thing so getting women out of the mindset that if they go into the gym and accidentally touch a weight that they're going to end up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Ask anybody who is actually a bodybuilder how difficult it is to build muscle mass. It's actually an insult for bodybuilders to think that you're going to go into the gym and do a yeah. exercise and be like Arnie. It's not going to happen. And particularly if you are doing work, strength work and not bodybuilding work, a lot of the adaptation is neurological. So you can lift quite heavy weights without putting on any muscle mass at all. So that is a big misconception. And that's just something that you have to say over and over and over again. You are not going to bulk. You are not going to bulk. You are not going to bulk, particularly if you're also trying to lose weight. So if you have a moderate calorie deficit and you're resistance training, you're not going to get big. You're just going to get more defined um, and stronger. So that is a, that's a big one. 
I think that's more of a barrier for younger women, though, because mm. they're much more concerned with aesthetics. Once you get into you know, women in their 50s, they do not give a shit anymore about what people think of them. And thank God, thank God for women in their 50s and 60s, because we can all aspire to be to be that way. Um, fear is probably more of a barrier for women who are in their 40s and 50s perhaps they haven't been in the gym before perhaps they were when they were younger but then they took time off to have kids and they're afraid that they're going to hurt themselves they don't mm. know what they're doing it's intimidating so if you can if you have any influence at all over the environment in which you you work your gym environment try and make it not so intimidating try and make it a little bit friendlier and I don't mean you know again with the patronizing girl power poster on the wall actually look at things like the music that's being played and just how intense it is in there try and make the environment a little bit less stressful um, and then yeah the other one that I struggle with a lot is medical advice and medical people and this is going to be probably a controversial thing to say but gps in general do not give good advice to people about exercise and it can be very difficult if you're a personal trainer or a fitness professional someone comes into you and says hey my gp has said that i should walk and not lift more than five kilograms you need to have a fair bit of confidence to stand up and go hey look this is what the evidence has to say this is what we should be doing and what your GP is telling you is actually contrary to the evidence and having that conversation with medical people, having that conversation with um, your doctors if you can, um, not always easy, um, but we can also be vigilant with regards to the language that we use when we tell people, oh, your, your back is, is broken, wear and tear, all of this sort of stuff, don't, you know, sort of that fear-based fear language, trying to get away from that is, is super important because people do get that from, from all angles. Um, and then lead by example, mm. you know. I get a lot of people who come and train with me because they see me doing stuff in the gym. I am, you know, 5'3", if I'm anything, and I lift a reasonable amount of weight, and I'm not, I'm not a big person. So you need to be leading by example, because I think there's not enough. There are a lot of women in the fitness industry. There are not enough women making noise, and not enough women actually stepping up and being role models in this regard. And I think that makes a big difference to have female leaders and female role models for people to look to and go, okay, well, yeah. That's it. And that, and that, I think, will lead us to um, maybe we need to get you back, Marcel, and do a community webinar because there's so much information in there and uh, there's only, you know, um, so much time we have. But before we do wrap up, I mean, where, where do FitPros go um, for, for more information, for good resources? You did refer to a couple throughout um, our chat today. Can you give us, give us more information there? Yep. Um, so yeah, 100%. I'm happy to, because we're kind of keeping a brief here, happy to um, direct people to additional resources that they can look at if they want to do a deeper dive into the physiology. Um, with regards to what I would recommend for fit pros, first of all, you need to just educate yourself and make sure you're well educated about menopause in general. And there's a couple of books that I recommend to people. I don't know whether, you know, because obviously you're in the UK, I'm pretty sure Amazon book depository delivers there. The first one is a book called The M Word by Dr. Ginny Mansberg. Again, I'm not you know, don't get anything for this. This is uh, Dr. Mansberg is a GP. So this is a really simple, 
this is what to expect and here's why it's happening kind of thing because the level of literacy around menopause in general is quite low. So start with that. Another good book is The Feel-Good Guide to Menopause. This one here, Dr. Um, Nicola Gates. So Dr. Gates is a neuropsychologist. This one goes into pretty good details around um, the physiology and the biology of, of menopause. It's straight down the line conservative GP so it's nothing outlandish this is really good from a psychological perspective and then in terms of uh, physical activity and uh, female physiology and physical activity this fantastic individual here Dr Stacey Sims uh, Dr Sims is really the person who has been at the forefront of agitating for better research and better discussions around female physiology particularly for active women so RAW is really directed at active women. I know that they're um, in the, they've got a menopause book in the works, um, but that's a really good resource for women who are perhaps fitness professionals and the information in there is going to be super relevant to you. The app that I was re referring to is the Fitter Woman app. So that's F-I-T-R woman. And that is a, a menstrual cycle tracking app that is specifically for physical activity and not for reproduction or for pregnancy. So it has functionality that you don't get in the pregnancy apps. Really highly recommend that. And then there are a couple of podcasts that are pretty good. Um, the fight, people at Feisty Menopause have a podcast called Hip Play Not Pause. So that's really good. You can totally recommend that. And then there's another um, podcast out of Melbourne here called The Hot Flush, which is just hilarious. And yeah, they're just really funny to listen to. Um, we, can, we can actually add those resources um, you know, to, to this, um, to, you know, to this today. And so that people have those references to go to. So um, yeah. that would be great. And if there's any more, um, you know, maybe we could get those off you and we can add them to the list and keep people busy. Yeah, um, very happy to do that. Yeah, that um, so if I found my fitness is one that I'll mention as well. So that's Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She doesn't specifically talk about menopause and it's very, very science heavy. So it's really only going to be useful for, for physiology geeks. But she talks a lot about metabolism and depression and all of the things that are relevant to menopausal women. It's a really, really excellent resource. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Marcel, thank you so much for your time today. You are a wealth of knowledge. I could listen to you for hours. Um, and we're certainly going to get you um, on a webinar because I'm sure everybody just wants to hear more. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your expertise. And um, we look forward to talking to you again. For more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy the today's podcast and see you next time.